Hey, welcome to Redemption Park. If this is your first time here, man, brave of you to try the weekend after Christmas Eve. Thanks for coming out. We're glad to worship God with you here. Uh, we uh, are, as a culture, coming to uh, this moment where uh, at the end of the year, you're, you're getting the, in your news feeds or others uh, kind of a review. What are the best movies and books and, and stories of the year? And this is also a time of year where we, we not only look back, but we look forward. And uh, this is time where we t- tend to make New Year's resolutions. And so gym memberships are about to spike uh, every year. And uh, uh, th- I think those are, those are good things. Actually, God would have us take times uh, in our calendar, in our year, to pause, to, to think back. And for some of us, 2018, we're, we're glad it's gone. Others, these are times to celebrate and, and to look forward and say, God, uh, we know you're already there. And so we want to walk in, in, in relationship, in presence with you. And so uh, this message was going to just be this message. And, and as I began to work on it and talking with Brad and Matthew, I just said, you know, this is something that we as a faith family could 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 spend some time and to soak in. And so we're calling it Life on Purpose. And it's, we, we finished our series through the Gospel of John with Matthew uh, right before Christmas. And so before we roll into anything big, the next six weeks we're, we're doing this series. And it's just out of conviction that we weren't me- meant to wander. We weren't meant to, uh, to kind of just uh, drift through life. But that life was meant to be lived on purpose with God. And so with that, I want to start by asking a question. Who here, you would put yourself in the category of directionally challenged? Like you get lost easily. No one gets lost in this crowd? Okay, we got Sandy. Okay, okay, we got a few. Got a few. Thank you. Yes, uh, my daughter got lost in our neighborhood. Um, so, so that's okay. Hey, it's a spectrum. There's no judgment here. Uh, there's those again. And who here would put yourself in the category of like directionally blessed? Like drop you. Okay, we got a couple. The rest of you are in the. Oh, we got more. These, this, this, like you know how to get around. Like you can drop you in another city, another country even, and especially those countries that didn't, you know, they're so old, they didn't understand the grid system is a pretty good deal. And so uh, you're able to do that. That's awesome. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a, a rare commodity around here. I'm a Denver native. And so uh, knowing, growing up here, we have a massive advantage directionally, right? Those of you that are from Colorado know, yeah, the 14,000 foot advantage to our West. And so uh, trying to teach my kids that as they've lived overseas for 15 15 years, saying, hey, you can always find your way. West is that way. North is that way. South is that way. And they're like, well, what about Pikes Peak? I'm like, no, look to the closest mountains. And then you got it. And so that works for us in Colorado. But where it's a little bit harder is when you do drop yourself off in another state or another country, right? But we've got this amazing thing. It's almost 2019. We've got smartphones and and Google Maps and Siri and Waze and ways people here. Uh, we, got, we got ways over here. And so we, we've got some advantage. Like when we traveled to France earlier in the year and, and we're there for three weeks from city to city, like it was an amazing tool 97% of the time. Uh, but when, when you get in those cities and the tunnels go under the city, all of a sudden that doesn't work so well. And there's turnoffs in the tunnel. So it was like roulette and we'd pop up in some random part of the city and it would redirect us. But nonetheless, did you know, uh, as awesome as that advantage is that, that we have in our pockets now to direct us, there's also some, some downside to that, scientists have found, that, that it's actually cognitively affecting us that we don't have to 
uh, have some spatial reasoning skills in our world anymore. Uh, they did a study between London cabbies, like the old school guys that just had to memorize the city and the, the, the streets, and um, uh, newer, like Uber drivers and uh, new taxi guys that are dependent 100% on ta- technology. And they studied their brains. And the brain flow in the brain and the growth in the brain uh, was by far better. And, and not just in spatial reasoning, like it, it affected many other areas of their lives. Just, just the, the fact that we had to find our own way. Uh, and so now we just kind of re- rely on this. Now, I, I would put myself in the directionally blessed category simply because when I was 18, I began delivering pizzas. I worked at Pizza Hut over in Littleton as I went to Arapahoe Community College. And uh, after a while, it was just, you, you grab your three or four orders, you look at the address, and you just go. And mentally, you plot a map on the city. You don't even look at a map. You just know where to go. And you, that's the way you made money. But of course, when, when a new driver would come in, they would get one order and they'd look at the map on the wall. And this is in the 90s. So there's no smartphones. We didn't even have cell phones. Some of us had pagers. And uh, kids, you can ask your parents what those were. Um, but uh, th- there was no technology. There was no map quest. Like this, the, it was the dawn of the, the early ages of technology. Earth's crust was cooling. And you just had to find your way in, in the world. And so uh, the, he would study the map and, and Mikey would study the map and, and he'd be gone. And then after a while, uh, the customer would start calling, where's my pizza? And we'd look around, hey, has any, where's Mikey at? I don't know. It hasn't been around. And so Mikey couldn't just call in, right? Again, no self. He'd have to drive to a gas station. There was a thing called pay phones, kids, uh, where you, you, you'd drop a quarter or 50 cents in there. And, and Mikey would call back. And, and Mikey would call. And we're like, Mikey, where are you? He's like, I don't know. It's dark. I'm afraid. Just come home, Mikey. Just come back here. The pizza's already free. The box is soggy. Just come back. And, and there's grace for the new drivers, right? Like that happens. And, but, but eventually, some, of, some Mikeys would, would be two or three months into it, and the manager would have to pull them aside and say, hey, we need to have a DTR moment. We've got to define the relationship here. This is not the job for you. Like you get lost every time. Like, why, why, do you, why do you go there? And I, just don't, I don't know. I'm just not learning. And so now I don't think there are Mikeys. They just have the smartphone. They can put it in there and find the house. But it's to their loss. But I have learned a few things about uh, being lost. The first thing I learned was that uh, people that get lost don't get lost on purpose. Like, like my wife reminds me of this because she's a lost person. And so sometimes I find myself getting frustrated. Like, why don't you have this ability? And she'd be like, hey, dude, chill out. I, I just, I can't find my way around this new city. What's the big deal? And so I got to give grace for that. The second thing I learned was that when you're lost, you don't know the moment that you got lost. It just dawns on you, right? Like, it's not like you're walking on a trail, take a step off, and you're like, where, where am I? Take, oh, oh, here I am. Like, that's, no, you, you could be lost a long time before you're like, I think I'm lost. And the third, which is really just kind of the big idea of this message, you're going to be like, this, that is so dumb. Why did we come the week after Christmas Eve? But it, really, uh, this is what I want to unpack. The third one is this, that the path you're on, the road you're on, the highway you're on, whatever you're on, there is, that leads to a destination. So the path determines the destination. You're like, yeah, duh. Mikey, why'd you get lost? Well, I took this road. Well, well, that road doesn't go there, Mikey. This road goes here. 
And we're like, collectively, like, man, this is a dumb sermon. Like, uh, of course that's true. Of course that's true. Desti- the, the, the path determines the destination. Not, not our intentions, not our hopes and dreams, not our, not, in many cases, not even our prayers, not, not our, uh, what we're telling everybody. Uh, it, that's just true in the world of geography, right? Like, so if your friends come to visit you and they're like, we want to see Denver, we love Denver, we're going to see all the sites. And, and so you say, okay, where are you going to go? We're going to go to I-25, that's good. And then we're going to head south. And we're like, no, 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 you don't head south. That, that goes to Colorado Springs. You're like, well, don't be so judgmental. I'm going to head south. No, that does, I'm not being judgmental. The path leads to a destination, and that's where it leads. Now, that's true in the world of geography, but that's true in every path you're on in life. You're all on a financial path, and you've made choices along the way. You've taken turns along the way, and where you're at right now is a result of the path that you've traveled financially, and, and maybe you don't see it now, but there is a, a destination on the path you're on for better or for worse. Financially, it's true of every relationship you're in. Every marriage is on a path. And, and no matter what you hope, what, it, what you expect, what, what your hopes and dreams are for your marriage, like, uh, tell me the path you're on, and, and I'll tell you wh- where that's ending up. Now, that's true of, uh, with our kids. That's true, how we, uh, that's true morally, and ultimately, that's true spiritually. So direction, not intention, not hopes and dreams, not uh, you know, big ideas and, and all the best hearts, it's a path. So that's what I want to talk about this morning, that, that our path determines the destination, that we are called to live on purpose, to understand the path that we're on in all these areas of our life and begin to go. Because I, I see so often in, in my own life, but more in others, because one of the tricks of this, it's easier to see the paths other people are on than you're on sometimes. Uh, you, you know this if you've ever described someone's situation as a train wreck waiting to happen. Why? Because you understand the principle of the path. The choices they're making, the, the people they're dating, whatever the case may be, the, 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 what they're doing in school, what they're doing at their work, what, what they're going on. The, they think they're in a moment, but it's a path. And so every couple that has come before me with brokenness and maybe adultery, like, that was a path. Like, they're broken, they're mad at God, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, why are you mad at God? Like, you went down this path. You can't blame God for that. Like, that's a path. And if we can understand that, then we can leverage this principle for the good and not for the bad. See, a principle exists whether you know about it or not. So if you know anything about Archimedes and his principle, it affects you every time you're on a boat, whether you care or not. Like, you're like, well, I don't even know this guy. Who's this guy? Like, doesn't matter. It's a principle. And so the principle of the path, that direction determines destination, not intentions. So, so there's some disconnects often, right? There's this disconnect like, well, I, I thought I was going to be, you know, a, a fighter pilot. Well, yeah, the path for that isn't playing video games 12 hours a day. There's a disconnect. Like, and, and so to, to begin to understand the disconnects in our life and then say, okay, where am I at? And, and quite honestly, the, the, this 
This idea, I, I, we self-deceive so much that sometimes it's hard to see in ourselves. But, but God has, has not left us on our own. Uh, he's, he's given us resources. So, for example, the, the Bible is very clear that all of us, apart from God, were on a path. That path led to death. That path led to separation from Him. That path led to hell. And by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 1 says, you were dead in your sins and transgressions. By grace through faith, God in his mercy transferred us from the dominion of darkness to the path of darkness into the kingdom of the, of the son he loves. That was his grace. That's called justification, we call that. And that just means this, that in Christ, by his life, death, burial, and resurrection, when we trust in him, he in that instant forgives us. In that instant, he credits us with his righteousness. We are positionally sanctified. I mean, justified. So that means we're holy and righteous in God's eye. We, we, we don't want to miss that. But when that happens, he, we are born again, and we begin a process, and we are intended to walk life on purpose. And that process, it, it, theologians will call sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ, knowing him, loving him, and becoming more like him. That is a process. That is a path that he will walk with us, but it is a path. And so to understand that you don't just wander, uh, but that, that your life matters forever and that process counts, uh, you got to get your, your life around that sooner rather than later. And so the Bible will, will give us uh, the principle of the path time and time and time again. In fact, we have a whole book that we're going to look at that really is the principle of the path laid out in many, many different areas. Uh, so if you have a Bible, uh, you can begin to turn to where we're going to look at here tonight. Uh, Matthew, or sorry, Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7, where we're going to be. And Proverbs is this book of wisdom. It's a book of the principle of the path, really. And um, just set, setting this up, uh, this is written by a guy, this passage is written by a guy named Solomon, one of the kings of Israel. And Solomon is described by the Bible as the wisest man who has ever lived. So he's going to drop some wisdom on us. Now, that's discouraging and encouraging to me. Because Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, the words that you're about to read come from him. And then other parts of the Bible tell us about Solomon. And he does some amazing things. And then he does some really dumb things. And I've always thought, man, what a disconnect. If he's the wisest man who ever lived, and he does these destructive things in his life, what hope is there for the rest of us? But then I thought, well, actually, that just shows, like, man, if he needed grace, man, how much more do we need the grace of God as we walk this life? And, and so there is hope for us in this. And so Solomon now is writing as an old man. He's lived a, a life of wisdom and folly, uh, but he's writing as an old man. And here he's going to unfold the principle of the path for us. And as he does it, uh, he's, we don't know if he's looking, like retelling a story that he's actually seen, or if he's just kind of telling the principle, or possibly he's looking back on his life and, and basically having a conversation with the younger self. I mean, after all, how many of us would, would love to go back in time to our 17-year-old self, if you're old enough, and just drop some wisdom, right? Like, man, I would shake me. Like, you're an idiot. Like, <laughs> you're on a path. And I'd be like, no, I'm not on a path. I'm just enjoying the day. And, and you'd be like, no, this leads somewhere. Like, we would all do that. And we would all 
tell ourselves about the principle of the path. And so that's what Solomon is about to do for this young man and for us. And so as we open it, Proverbs chapter 7, uh, we'll pick it up in verse 6. He says, For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. And so he looks out his window as it's getting dark, and a young man comes out, and, and it says, I saw a young man lacking sense. I, I don't know if it was a look on his face. I don't know if he had his pants on backwards. I don't know why Solomon was just like, this guy does not have it all together. Probably just because he was young. Because a lot of times it takes experience. And Proverbs does want to give us wisdom so that we, don't, we can go down paths mentally so we don't have to go down them actually and learn from them. And so this man is lacking sense. He's a young man. It reminds me of, uh, I think the quote is attributed to Mark Twain. He said this, he said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. <laughs> I mean, isn't that right? Like, every 16-year-old I know, and when I was like, you just know everything. You know everything, right? We're good? Okay, good. So that, that's just what, what this man thinks. Like, I'm, I'm, he's, he's dressed up. He's ready to go. He's heading out. Uh, and, and he's thinking, man, I hope this is a good night. And, and in his mind, it's about to become a great night. But we're going to see it from two perspectives. See, that again, often on the principle of the path, you can see other people more than you can see yourself. And so you can predict the future in that way. I remember standing on campus at Colorado State University, and there's all these paths, and standing at a position on the lawn that I, there was a building, and on each side of the building was a path coming downhill. And on one side, I saw a guy just booking it on his mountain bike, and on another side, I saw another guy booking it on his mountain bike. And in that moment, I could predict the future. And sure enough, as they came right around the corner, they didn't see it, but bam, they hit each other. It's the principle of the path. They didn't know. And so uh, we're going to have two perspectives here. We're going to have Solomon in his wisdom, and we're going to have this young man walking through the story. And here's what happens. Verse 8, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. So some yellow flags are starting to be raised. He's walking near this woman's house. It's getting dark and darker and darker. And so that's both physically true and spiritually true as this is about to be played out. Verse 10, and behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute. Though she's not a prostitute, we'll see in a moment. She's just dressed seductively, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to have ever read this to know where this is going because you innately know the principle of the path. This is not good. He thinks it's amazing. 
Like he's got, he's got a soundtrack. He's got his ear pods in. He's rocking some Cardi B or whatever. He, he thinks that this is going to be a, this is going to be the most amazing night of my life. And, and meanwhile, it, uh, Solomon's got his ear pods in and he's got like the horror music. Dun, 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 dun. Like he's got a soundtrack as well. And these two radically different soundtracks are playing in these men's heads. And one is living for the moment. One is like the ultimate YOLO poster boy. Like this is awesome. I'm, 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 this is a moment that I'm going to talk about with my friends tomorrow. It's going to be amazing. And, and, and he actually doesn't even have to do much work. The woman comes out to him. She kisses him. He's like, this is awesome. And, and, and he's like thinking, I have never been so lucky in my life. And Solomon's like, no, no, you don't understand. Notice what she says. She says, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I paid my vows. She's saying, I'm not a prostitute. I've, I've been to the temple today. I, I took my bucket that was full of sin, and, and I dumped it on the temple, and God had to forgive me, and so I'm ready to fill it up again. Do you want to fill up my sin bucket with me? And he's like, yeah, I'll fill up your sin bucket with you. That sounds pretty good. And she's playing this game, a game that sounds ridiculous, but we play the game. If you came from a Catholic background, you played the game by going to the priest and, and, and emptying your sin bucket in a confessional. If you played the Protestant game, you just skip the priest and you're like, God, uh, 1 John uh, 2, 1, 9, uh, you're, you're faithful and just to forgive me. So awesome. Take my sin, God. I'm going to go out and fill it up again and we'll see you next week. God, you must be such a fool. We're playing a game. And, and I just want to say that People that think of grace that way don't understand grace. The grace that saves us, the grace that, uh, that can rescue us from the pit of hell is the same grace that empowers us to resist temptation and live holy lives. And, and so they're playing a game. They're playing a religious game. And, and she says, I've made my offerings. Don't worry about it. The sin bucket's empty. We're good to go. Just, just come with me. And then it gets even better for him from his perspective. Verse 15, so now I have come to meet you, uh, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. This is all about you. You are so unique. You are so special. Like, I just have eyes for you. And he's like, yeah, I'm the man. I am the man. This is, this is awesome. Of course she wants me. Of course. It's going to be great. We're, now what are we going to do? She says, I have spread my couch with coverings. Colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. She's got cinnamon in her bed. He's like, I like cinnamon. That's awesome. And aloe, that's kind of weird, but okay. And she says, come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Notice, notice the language she uses. Like, this is love. Can't be wrong if it's love. Maybe the most destructive idiom in the Western world today is follow your heart. Well, my heart felt this way. The Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Don't trust your heart. Be, be wise. And so he's like, this is, this is love. You, can't, you can't, can't knock that. And so he goes with him in verse 19. For my husband is not at home. He's like, oh, oh, well, that's good, I guess. I didn't know you were married, so, but he's not home. Good, good. For he has gone on a long journey. Even better, he's not in the city. Okay, that's good to know. He, has he took a bag of money with him. The NIV, if you have that, says he took a purse with him. I mean, maybe that's why they're having marital problems. I don't know. But he's gone, and he says he's a full moon when he comes back. He's gone for a while. We can do this for a while. There's no danger from the husband. And he's thinking, oh, 
okay, that's cool. That's great. I mean, she's, she, okay, she has a husband, but she really digs me, and she makes me feel special. And the emotional attachment to take you on this path is just so strong. And so they move forward. Verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. He's on a path. And he thinks, this is an amazing path. I'm going to tell my friends about it tomorrow. I'm going to party about it. Like, we got some weeks to do this. This is going to be great. I'm going to go down this path, and uh, I'm just going to follow her. And then Solomon says, all at once he follows her, as an ox goes to the slaughter. At this point, I imagine he looks over at someone, hey, old man, you sound like my dad. This is, this is not, no, that's, what, what are you talking about? Slaughter. Like, this is just, I'm just enjoying myself. Like, it's love. What are you talking about? Solomon's like, no, I've seen this played out before. You think you're special. You're not special. Like an ox goes to the slaughter or a stag is caught in a fat, caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. From a safe distance, the, the, the hunter shoots or if that's not enough, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And every person I know that has come to me broken, and, and maybe in an adulterous affair, their intention was never to do that. I, I don't know anyone that sought out for that. They, they took a step on the path. They took another step. And they went down, and eventually they hit the destination and Solomon's saying there is a path you might tell all your friends about this tomorrow and they might think you're the man and you might do this for a while but every path leads to a destination and then he turns Solomon turns to us and just tries to drop wisdom just imploring it onto our hearts he says now oh sons and daughters listen to me be attentive to the words of my mouth let not your heart turn aside to her ways do not stray into her paths. It's a path that leads to a destination. For many, many a victim she has laid low. You're not special. This, this is predictable. Like every good counselor knows, like has been down these, these paths so many times that it becomes so predictable. So you go to a counselor and they're like, and, and, and they'll say to you like, oh, I bet when this happened, you did that. And you're like, oh. Wow, you know that? Yeah, and I bet when she said this, you felt this way. Yeah, I did feel that way. Take my money right now. And the counselor's just thinking, this is so predictable. This is a path. It leads to a destination. And we go to counselors, we go to, we go to pastors, and we're like, oh man, my life's broken. Can you fix it? We said, no, we can't fix it. This is a path. You can fix a car, you can fix a computer, but paths sometimes... Go long ways that take a long way to get back. And so she, he says, For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol. I like what the NIV says. Her house is a highway to the grave, going down to the chambers of death. It's a path. Now, now here's the deal. If you get lost in a new city, and you go under a tunnel and you come up and it'll reroute you and you may have to pay more tolls and you may be late for your appointment, but, it, but that's a pretty quick correction course. But some of the paths that we're on in life, man, you go down those wrong roads for a while, it's hard to correct course. There's no easy fix. You only get one first marriage. 
You only get your kids for so long. You only get one opportunity to prepare for your future financially. So when I was in seminary, I worked as a financial advisor. And every day, uh, people would call me up. And every day, uh, sometimes the same person would call me up, an old retired guy. And he'd call up. And it was just so sad because he'd be like, what's my balance today? You have $15,432. And it went down 12 bucks today. It's like, oh. I'm old, that's all I have left? I'm like, yeah. Well, well can you do anything for me? Can you I'm like, at this point, not really. Like, there's no magic, magic way to save for your future now. Okay, I'll call again tomorrow. But then on the other hand, I, I got a call one day that absolutely transformed the way I thought about all paths, not just financial. This guy called in, late 60s, Pulled up his account. I'm like, oh, you, sir, you have $1.5 million. He's like, okay. He's like, well, when I was 18 and I was at the end of World War II, uh, uh, someone came around and sold me this mutual fund for $25 a month. I'm like, really? He's like, sir, I, I see that you're still doing $25 a month. You know, you can, you can start to take some money out. He's like, I know. I just, it's what I've always done. I'm like, Wait, you didn't take it out during the 70s oil crisis or the Black Monday on 80s or you didn't take it out for a car? You didn't... No, just $25 a month. And he was on a path and I thought, man, that, that, that's it. That's it. That's, that's true in every other area of our life as well. Everything's a path, but, but Jesus shows us even more. Because it's one thing to fail on important paths that are secondary paths. If you fail on the most important path, you fail forever. Look at Matthew chapter 7. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives the most famous sermon in the history of the world. And most scholars think that this is kind of a summary of ideas that Jesus came to time and time and time and time again. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way or the path is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow. And the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now you're probably thinking, most times when you read that, you think, oh, this is talking about the exclusivity of Christ, which is a truth, but that's not the truth that Jesus is unpacking for us right now. The truth that Jesus is unpacking is, he says the way of Jesus, which he's unpacking in the whole Sermon on the Mount, the way of Jesus is not an easy way. It's not a way that people just naturally want to go on. It's a difficult road. It's a hard path. And our tendency is to say, well, I'll choose the easy path. So we do this in, in so many ways, right? Your resolution this year, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to, I'm going to eat right. I'm going to do all that. And then, oh, yeah, I'll supersize that. Thank you very much. Yeah. That's a disconnect. We, we live with disconnects all the time. So I wrote down just a, a quick list of potential disconnects. I want to grow in my walk with Christ. I want to know Him and be a source of encouragement to other believers on their journey. So I'm going to fill all my free time with distractions like television, sports, movies, Facebook, internet, and Twitter. Well, there's a disconnect there. I want financial peace and I want to honor God as a steward of His resources. So I'm going to rack up consumer debt and get the latest and greatest stuff and I'm not going to invest any of it in my future or in the kingdom. That's a disconnect. I want to raise kids who know Christ and follow Him. So I'm going to give them whatever they want whenever they want it so they think the world revolves around them. 
It's a disconnect. If I'm single, when I get married, I want to have an amazing level of intimacy with my spouse. So I'm going to sleep around as much as possible beforehand to get a lot of practice. It's a disconnect. I want to be the kind of friend other people trust and confide in. So I'm going to gossip about our other friends behind their backs. I could go on. I, I want to have a great marriage, so I'm going to prioritize my kids over my wife or my husband. So again, God is gracious to us. He is more than willing to help us walk paths. He'll walk those paths with us. And part of our calling is to walk paths together. And that's what we want to do. But as Francis Chan said, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. And so this path that Jesus lays out, the narrow path, the way of Jesus, that we don't just gather around the name of Jesus, we we gather and follow Jesus. That means care for the poor, the the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, living a life that honors and glorifies God for his glory and for our joy. It's a narrow path. And he says it's hard, but it leads to life. But few find it. Few find it. And so that's that's our heart in this series. You know, the Bible says that elders will have to give an account for how they shepherd the flock. I don't want to mess around with your souls. I want to point you to the narrow path as much and as often as possible. It is the way that leads to life. So what's our purpose? What does that look like? What does it mean to live life on purpose? Here's the purpose you were created for. You were created to know Christ, to love Christ, and to grow increasingly to be more like Christ. That's a path. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen by accident. Uh, D.A. Carson, the president and founder of the Gospel Coalition, a theologian, he has this great quote about this that we want to wrap our lives around. He says, people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. So my deep desire for my own life for my family, for you, is that we would understand that direction determines destination, not our intentions. And so when we understand that, we would be able to make the course corrections or the U-turns or whatever the case may be and and ask God to walk with us in this. So I learned four lessons from my Apple Maps. When, When you turn on your Apple Maps, the first thing it does is it locates where you are. Where are you at? Secondly, it asks the question, where do you want to go? Third, it navigates a route from where you're at to where you want to go. And fourth, on your journey, it makes course corrections. If you get off pace, it reroutes you. And that's true for us spiritually as well. And so I want to have three, I want you to do three things. And the first one you can do right now, so you only have to really remember two things in this. And the first one is this. Would you commit to owning your growth this, in 2019? Like, like, 
There's, there's no way you're going to grow because you don't drift towards holiness. The first thing you got to do is, I'm going to commit to owning my growth. I'm going to commit to owning my growth financially, relationally, parent-wise, but most of all, spiritually. Will you commit to that and not, not look for excuses, not look for the easy path, not, not blame your church or your Bible study, but just say, I'm going to own my growth. With the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to own my growth. And if you can commit to that, then you can go on to number two and number three. Number two, will you take some time this week, maybe today or uh, one of your morning sessions or or an afternoon and just say, where am I at? Kind of do a self-assessment. Prayerfully just kind of do assessment. What paths have I been traveling? Where where am I at? And then finally, where do I want to go? Where am I at? Where do I want to go? If you commit to those things, then you've got an advantage over 99% of the people in the world who just kind of try to drift in and out of life. Now, here's the deal. We say often here, and we want to say all the time, the gospel is amazing. That it's, it's okay at Redemption Parker to not be okay. We've all chosen bad paths in life. We've all got brokenness in our life. We're all on a journey. None of us have arrived. We're all going together. And so it's okay to not be okay. Jesus will meet you where you're at. But don't hear in that, it's okay to not be okay. Jesus will meet you where you're at. And then go on whatever path you want to go. Jesus meets us where we're at to walk with us on the narrow path. And he'll meet you wherever you're at. Like, that's amazing. He's, He's here with you. And he's like, hey, I'll show you the way. I'll walk with you. I'll, I'll take you on the road that leads to life. Oh, it, it'll be hard, but I'll, I'll be with you. In fact, I'll send my spirit to be with you in that. Oh, it'll be worth it. In fact, you don't, you don't want to not be on this path. And so this year, commit to owning your growth. In the next few weeks, we're going to kind of unpack this a little bit more. Next week, we're going to look at five faith catalysts that God uses to, to grow our faith. And if we shared in this room, each one of us would probably tell uh, in the category of one of those five things that God really used to grow us at some point in our life. And just being aware of those and being receptive to how God would grow us in our lives, that'll be helpful. And then the final four weeks, we'll just unpack what, what some have called spiritual disciplines or just the means of God's grace to help us walk on the path, to recalibrate us. We'll look at prayer. We'll look at silence and solitude. We'll look at the role of community uh, together. And so uh, that's where we're headed in this. But in the end, we want to live a life on the narrow path that leads to life. We want to live life on purpose. And to that end, I want to go ahead and pray for us here this morning. Father, thank you for your word to us. God, thank you for your grace to us through Jesus. Lord, you have rescued us by grace through faith from a path that led to hell. And your desire is to walk with us on that path that leads to knowing you more, loving you more, becoming more like you. Father, I pray that 2019 would just be a breakthrough year for each person in this this room. Lord, just intentionally understanding that direction determines destination. God, we we need you, Lord. We need your grace. We need you to meet meet us where we're at. We can't do this on our own. None of us have the the moral fortitude to walk paths alone. And so help us to, to do that with you and with one another in 2019. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.